0: Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NoCo FM. Tonight we're talking to Dr. David Burns, the third in our trilogy of Feeling Good and then On the Road to Feeling Great, and now The Trifecta of Feeling Terrific. Join me for this interesting conversation, actually behind the scenes a little bit, getting to know Dr. Burns in a little deeper way. And I just find absolutely fascinating. We get to know a little bit about the man behind the curtain and get to peer into a little bit of David Burns' history, as well as continue our conversation, learning about the techniques to bring us from feeling good to feeling terrific this is the spark i'm your host stephanie james one of the things coming back to um that i've you know been thinking about you know on our wonderful third interview here i'm just so pleased and delighted and and just thrilled that, that you know it's just been such an honor david to get to meet with you and get to know you and talk with you um what yeah, what we a did treat a fun.
1: it's it's been uh, you're a great interviewer and it's highly charged and it it just I really loved it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. well, one of one of the pieces I felt like um that I wanted to ask you because although we talk about all this wonderful theory and these techniques and tools, one of the things I've thought about is, you know on on a personal level from you, David, you know what what has driven you? Here we are, you know, 35 years, almost 40 years later since feeling good to continue. You know, you, you just give so much. I think about the the training group you do on Tuesday nights and these different, you know, components that you're involved in, the hiking group, yeah. um, still continuing to write and, and give back to the world. What, what's that inner drive about for you?
1: Narcissism and addiction.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm you know, I, I kind of like being the center of attention.
0: You're doing good.
1: My narcissism has been a benefit, but also a flaw that's caused problems for me. But it's, it's also driven me hard. And I'm somewhat intelligent, but not super intelligent. And what I've discovered is that if I focus on a little small area, I can get really good at it and then people think you're really smart <laughs> when you just have this very specific skill and i think i've i've had a pretty good aptitude for what we used to call cognitive therapy and now we're calling uh, team cbt or team therapy and i'm also addicted to seeing people recover yeah. like to seeing them recover right right before your very eyes and that happens to me most of the time when I have uh, therapy sessions. As, as we've talked about, I meet with people for an hour and a half or on hikes. There's no time limit, really. But I work until the, the person's symptoms vanish. And I can't do that 100% of the time, but it happens, I would say, more than 90% of the time. And it just makes me euphoric. It, it's, it's, it's just like the most fun thing in the world, and, and I get to do it over and over again. And and it just drives me on. And then I, like, the the writing for me, for a while when I was in medical school, I used to write poetry as as a pastime. And I would get friends to edit it and say, oh, I don't like this or this. And I had an endless appetite for that, because just to, even if it's a short poem, to make it more and more beautiful. And I it's the same with writing the new book. It's like when my wife tells me, the awful parts of a chapter, then I could just lift them right out. And, and suddenly I've got something that it will really zing and people will really be able to move through it and feel excited and they, and they won't get bogged down. And there's something about that process of creating in that way. I'm not a musician, uh, the, the but it it's like being a musician to to me it's like you're creating something and the and the process of create, creation excites me and the process of doing therapy excites me and then having colleagues like Jill Levitt uh, you know talking about the interpersonal thing we're supposed to talk about today she and I did a live session with a fellow in England on uh, a week ago
0: I caught it my, I caught oh, it you did? Yeah was that the gentleman I thought he was from Canada
1: that was the podcast, the, the Facebook podcast on a oh, Saturday. Oh, okay,
0: yes, we, okay.
1: We got on Jill's software. Oh, Okay. Uh, and this fellow was in a- England, and okay. he had a mirror problem, and he wanted us to treat him. And and uh, again, he he's a therapist. He works with the people with addictions. His name is Lee. And he graciously allowed us to uh, treat treat him and to to use that as a series of it'll be broken down into three podcasts, and then Fabrice will ask us questions about each section. but it was it was again, it was it was total blow away. And it just the, that that process is just it's it's thrilling to me. It's thrilling to be doing therapy. it's it's thrilling to be seeing results. It's thrilling to be. Uh, Figuring out things about therapy, new new techniques, new new ways of of conceptualizing things. I think that therapy, and I probably said there should be like a computer chip that keeps getting faster every week, more powerful, better be, better tools, and uh, and I and I just I just love love doing that. I'm just always doing what I, what I want to do, and it's probably much the same with with you. You probably work ridiculously long hours, but I don't think there's anyone telling you. What to do all day long? It, it's a whole different thing, and uh, just like being in a candy store, and you have an endless appetite and an endless endless supply of of, of candy, and uh, so uh, that that's kind of how I experience my life. But I'm like anyone else, and there are always bumps in the roads, and you know, painful things that come up. I I call it getting kicked in the stomach by life. For me, it happens about once every three years or once every 10 years or once every five years, uh, something happens that's, that's just profoundly, profoundly disturbing. I mean, we all have our little upsets to cope with every, every day, most of us. But at any rate, I'm just really grateful for the, uh, hand I've been dealt and and for the wonderful opportunities uh, that I have. I'm grateful even for our little kitty. And we've probably talked about her, but, uh, miss misty and just last night again i woke up in the middle of the night and she was sleeping up against my my feet she doesn 't trust enough to sleep against our chest yet that that 's what we 're working toward, but I reached down, started petting her, and she rolled over on her back and started purring. She stretched her arms and legs out, I was just purring her tummy, and it just it just doesn 't get any better than that. My wife was saying, maybe this is our Buddhist destiny. the highest calling is is to to serve a cat to make a cat or two happy
0: you You so. guys have become cat whisperers. Yeah, my wife, my wife especially,
1: but she's taught me some of it, so I've picked up some of it. And uh, uh, yeah, it's really a, a source of joy. Well, we better get on to uh, troubled relationships.
0: Well, yes, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, and I do want to talk about that. The, the one thing I wanted to comment on is, you know, I hate to debunk your uh, self-imposed idea of being a narcissist, but uh, I think it takes a lot of humility to be able to number one handle critiques like you did with you know exposing your poetry your work allowing other people to do that and that was my yeah. experience when i was with you at stanford i i think it takes again a lot of humility to be in that group and be open to feedback in the way that it's um administered yeah. if you yeah. will in that group and, yeah. and being willing to yeah. show up and be vulnerable you know, and, and for people that don't know about this group, it's a it's a Tuesday night therapy training group that you do there at Stanford and people are doing role plays and they're doing real life situations with each other and then being critiqued by their peers and by you and graded right there. You know, immediate yeah. feedback into how you yeah. te- how your therapeutic technique is working or not.
1: Yeah, and and then if you check your ego at the door, it's just fun. You the negative feedback is a way of learning, but if your ego gets in there, it's very humiliating. And we have quite a few who join the Tuesday group, and then once they see that they're going to have to be criticized, uh, they they can't take it, and they and and they drop out. And uh, it's 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 kind it's kind of sad, but it does take a lot of courage. And then. As as you saw, they everyone gives us group leaders feedback. They criticize us and say, Here's what I disliked about tonight's group, here's what I liked, and here's how I rated you and all these these different dimensions. And it can be pretty painful because I think I don't know if was Jill Levitt there the night you were there or yes. maybe not. Yes. Oh she, was. she well, was she's like she's like an incredible gracious genius and and she's so warm. Every time she opens her mouth and gives feedback, it just always done so diplomatically and beautifully. But I'm more aggressive, and so to me, it doesn't sound aggressive. I'm just telling people, "Here's what you did right. Here's what you did wrong. Here's how you can improve." But so, but I'm, but I'm i put it out there very directly and sometimes people take umbrage and i i get a lot of criticism that's that's usually valid and it's it it's painful but it if you're willing to be open for it it does give you a chance to to grow and that's what i like about teaching is that it get i'm learning not only about what i'm teaching but i'm learning about myself and my flaws and and uh, you know every time i teach it's like an opportunity to to grow and to to make magic happen and and to also experience the death of your ego when when you get slammed for some mistake that you made and i'm 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 so talkative now that i i get slammed a lot to tell you the truth and uh but it's uh, th- those are always opportunities to to accept yourself to accept your your humanness and uh, uh yeah
0: yeah it's, it's a it's a fantastic platform for being able to be present and to be, like you said, humble and I don't have to be a perfectionist. Um, there's no room for that there. And then I can receive yeah, right. this feedback, which really will help me grow. And that's that's the beauty of that experience for sure.
1: Yeah. And then the thing about it that's especially neat that us perfectionists have trouble grasping is, is when you do show your humanness, Um uh, with humility, people seem to embrace you like like crazy, and it's it's just such a shock to some of us that we can be accepted and loved and respected by people even even with our flaws. In fact, I, I could tell you the first time I ever discovered that, if you if you want, this yes. is what we're supposed to be talking about. But it's we not can talk.
0: A, you know, we we got some time, so we can definitely yeah. talk about some other things here right. they are important. <laughs>
1: But when when I was a medical student at Stanford, I think I, I probably told you I never should have gone to medical school. I wasn't a pre-medical student. I didn't fit in at all. I was very anxious, and you know, I cut most of my most of my classes, and uh, just barely made it through medical school. But I made up for it in an internship and residency. I worked really hard, and and became a really good doctor. But uh, I was like kind of like a hippie. It was the late 1960s, and LSD was all over the place in Palo Alto, and it just seemed like there was more exciting things on the street than in the medical school. <laughs> Are yeah. or biochemistry or cutting up a dead body and and, and all of that stuff? Ken Kesey and his Merry Pranksters were around. He had an office. I had a little office in downtown Palo Alto. I rented it for 30 bucks a month, and it was a little pad that I where I hung up. And Ken Ken Kesey had his office. Right down right down the hall. It was an old, old, dilapidated building. It was very colorful. He was the guy who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's one of the people who made LSD. He was one of the first to take LSD, which was actually distributed by the CIA. Did you know that? You probably did.
0: I don't remember. I don't remember that. But wow. No, yeah.
1: They got a hold of it. And they were testing it at the VA in Menlo Park. To, they thought it was going to be some important you know drug to use in warfare make prisoners talk and they got people to volunteer to, to take it and then uh, Vic Lovell was one of them and uh, Ken Kesey was one of them they said oh man this LSD is better than anything And and they started getting Sandoz was the manufacturer and they started I guess probably stealing it out of the supplies of the CIA or something but it got distributed, and and it was really a wild time. I, I was at the BN in San Francisco when that fellow from Harvard, Timothy Leary, said, "Tune in, turn on, and drop out." Right. And a lot of people were really doing that. Magic was in magic was in the air. At any rate, I was. They they had this thing in in uh, Palo Alto called the Mid Peninsula Free University. And it was one of the many wonderful and kooky things that were going on. It was this university, and anyone could be a student, and anyone could teach. And there were no credits or rules of any kind. But they put out a brochure, you know, every semester, and it just you could just list something. There was no buildings or anything. The classes met in people's houses, so if you wanted to have a class on, say, nude nude poetry reading. You put a little description, and then you know, 12 people would show up at your house on Tuesday evenings and take their clothes off and read poetry or whatever it was that you wanted to do. Awesome. And, and there were, yeah, there are hundreds of these things going on every week. And I remember uh, Rob Christ was a friend of mine. He was the founder of this wonderful Mid Peninsula Free University, and, and he had some afternoon encounter group at his house. It was very small. There were about six or seven people, and we sat on the floor. And they started getting into this Gestalt thing. And some woman had a dream, and they had her acting out her dream. And it was very esoteric and bizarre and wonderful. Then all of a sudden, everybody turned get on me, uh, started confronting me, and you know, putting me down, and you know, pointing out all all of my flaws. And and it was just like having a pack of wild wolves eating you alive. And it was this horrible experience, and you know, it's just, it's just I felt humiliated and put down and anxious and ashamed.
0: What was the and cause that, of that, David? What was the reason they turned against you? Was there something I'm imagining that happened? It
1: happens in these encounter groups, uh, oh. psychodrama groups. They, okay. they sense your flaws, and then they, they start ripping into you to try to rip your defenses away. And, and there is a logic to it, but it can be very brutal. Uh, it's kind of no holds no holds barred. Well, it was only a three hour thing, fortunately, so it came to an end. And all the all the other people, they got up and they were so happy, they were dancing around and they went into the kitchen to, to they had some mushrooms, not not psychedelic mushrooms, mm-hmm. just ordinary mushrooms that they were gonna put in a pan and they were, you know cooking them there on a skillet with some butter or something, and they were all excited. And I just sat there feeling like a total loser and then rob chris who who was you know kind of the father figure of, of the whole thing he came up to me and said and that was in his home he lived with a young with a woman named judy cosgrove who was really a neat person too uh, and uh, he came up to me he says david you looks like you're feeling kind of down right now and i said well yeah rob i i just got ripped to shreds by these people and and you know I just, I'm just feeling so ashamed and horrible and kind of kind of deflated. Uh, and and he says, well, you know, Dave, David, I I like you a whole lot more right now, because he says usually you're trying so hard to impress people and you come on too strong and 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 right now you're just you're kind of showing your vulnerable side and 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 I feel really close to you. And I couldn't believe what he was saying. Here I was totally ripped to shreds and shown to be kind of an ass and all of a sudden he was liking me and he said he really liked me for the first time felt close I thought he'd always liked me I thought I was impressing him or something you know what I mean and and it was it was kind of a pleasant shock to the system and it's a a, a rule that I've been kind of learning uh, over and over throughout throughout my life and it's um uh, it's kind of a neat, neat discovery that you can be vulnerable and flawed and real, and still have people love you and care about you and and feel close to you. In fact, then I've subsequently come to see something I, I know that you're very aware of is is that the flaws that we have is really our our best side because it's what connects us on a, on a deep level to to other people. It's not impressing people that that gets you close. It's 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 seeing this deeper, more beautiful aspect of life. And the same thing that I've learned from, from our cats, you, you know, that just they love me and as I am and I love them and they're not trying to impress anybody and they're just incredibly grateful. If you just give them a warm place to sleep at night and you love them and you give them food and you, you treat them really, really well, they just love you incredibly.
0: Well, what a powerful, powerful moment that must have been for you. And, and, you know, I was listening to that and imagining myself in your place. And I would imagine that, you know, if, if Chris would have come up to me, I would have said, you know what, I'm going to go join the nude poetry group. i'm not not coming back to encounter group again (laughs) yeah right right. i have to deal with (laughs) all of this stuff by way of
1: compensation (laughs) it was just the the air i I mean it it was but magic is in the air now i mean what you're doing is magical and you're starting your podcast your new book your lecture series and uh, and and people i think always have that potential for, for, for magic uh you know, people are are like children. We we forget and treat each other like adults, and then we get all uh, you know uptight all the time and working all the time. But people really want to play. That 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 was. Mm-hmm. They want to cry. They want to laugh. They want to be be real. We never lose that that strong desire. Uh, but, but that's what the '60s were all about, in, in part. Yes. Why I had so many mind blowing experiences.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that experience uh, with me. I it, and, and I re- want to really say, you know, I mean, I just really honored that experience. I mean, even though I was just joking with you, I truly honor that experience and then what that did in your life and how that's carried through for you. Yeah.
1: yeah. But enlightenment is something you have to work on all the time because you can you slip in and out of enlightenment. But That's what the Buddha said also, you know, 2,500 years ago, that we get all enlightened, we see these things, and we lower our defenses and, and connect with people. And then, you know, a day, and it seems so easy, and seems like you're just going to be in this state of intense joy f- forever. Uh, and then two or three days, and that's enlightenment. And then two or three days later, you're back to your ordinary defensive self again, having slipped out of enlightenment, and then you've got to get back into enlightenment again. And that process goes on Throughout your life, and I think you get better at it over time, but you, you you never lose your capacity to to fall into that black hole of self-doubt and anxiety or anger or irritability or feeling hurt or inadequate or worthless or hopeless or whatever, ashamed, whatever your thing happens to be when you're down. We never lose the capacity for that to happen to us. And all that we're doing with team therapy is just trying to develop really high speed ways to help people pop out, pop out of that state and get back into enlightenment again.
0: And what an important point, because I I think that that's so important for our audience to hear is that, you know, there's not this one set point of arrival, because I hear that so often in my office, too. That people want to like, so when do I finish? Not when do I finish therapy, but when do I get to kind of finish this journey? I want to feel like I've got it all together. And there really is never this point of arrival of all together. That part of being human means we're going to have those moments. Yes, we can grow in enlightenment, but we're going to, you know, we're going to fall off the wagon once in a while and be human and have a human response and a human reaction. It's not always, you know, oh, I'm so enlightened. I'm going to respond to this perfectly. It's like, no, I got really ticked. I really got furious or... Yeah, boy, yeah. I can't believe that behavior that just came out of me.
1: Y- yes, exactly, exactly. And uh, sometimes we can be get real angry and kind of be mean to people and think we're doing something really cool and something important. Then it gets pointed out to you, oh, my God, did it, was I ever screwing up? That's a shocker.
0: That's kind of a good segue then. let's Let's move into the relationship piece because, boy, one place, you know, I always think we can look really good to ourselves and when we're single – boy, we we can really start to convince ourselves we've got our stuff together and then we get into relationship and yeah. wow, can can we really get, you know, we start getting this uh greater awareness that, oh boy, I, I have some triggers I wasn't aware of. you know, being in love, I always say, you know, when we're in relationship, love brings up anything unlike itself for the purpose of being healed. but we get we get to see some of our warts and scars that maybe, weren't addressed and definitely in communication breakdown.
1: Yeah. Relationships are, are, are very tough. And, um, what I've noticed is, is that the, uh, the therapist in our group when we're teaching them the five secrets of effective communication, I probably, I don't know when I'm repeating myself, I've been doing so much teaching and interviews that I can't remember who I've told what to, it's kind of embarrassing, but that it even, professional th- and I'm I'm doing an intimacy workshop in uh the, the middle of June, June 15th in Mountain View for the local marriage and family therapy, uh California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And I'm gonna give the therapist a whole day of, of uh, intimacy training using the five secrets. And when I'm training therapists it takes them a lot of work to learn how to use the five secrets of effective communication in their in their professional work but those who stick with it and really work at it can can succeed but then when it comes to doing it in their personal life with their boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or spouse or mother or brother or whoever they 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 really really struggle and we, we did a kind of survey of a, of a therapy group, uh, one of my colleagues did. I have this list I, I made. You see that the communication techniques we teach is EAR, empathy, assertiveness, and respect. There's three empathy techniques. There's an assertiveness technique and a, and a, and a way of conveying, conveying respect. And the techniques are absolutely mind-blowing and powerful and and amazing. They work really well if you're in conflict with somebody. But it's very interesting that people don't want to use them. The resistance is the most intense of any part of psychiatry or psychology in in the treatment of people with relationship conflicts. And I have a list of 12 – see, part of it you have to use the listening skills – the disarming technique, thought and feeling, empathy, to, to see the world through the other person's eyes. And most people believe wrongly and foolishly that they can do this, but they can't. People aren't any good at it. And I have exercises that will make you very aware of your inadequacies in, in this field. And so we train people in how to listen. More effectively, and then I have a list of 12 good reasons not to listen, and it gives all the 12 most common excuses people have given me over the years for uh, why should I find the truth in what my husband is saying? He's wrong. You know, that would be one of the I'm right and you're wrong uh, type of thing. And then there's 12 good reasons not to share your feelings with i feel statements with, with assertiveness statements and, and and people will you know you teach them how to how to share your feelings well you can share your angry feelings or you can uh, uh, t- lash out with them they're, they're, that's a huge huge difference but people want to lash out they want to be passive aggressive they want to be o- overtly aggressive and i've got a list of 12 good reasons not not to share your feelings and then another 12 good reasons not to treat the other person with with respect and that's why relationship problems are are so hard is because people have two intense forms of resistance Uh, first they generally actually don't want to get close to the person they're fighting with and then the second barrier is if they did want to get close they don't want to do what they've got to do to get close which is to look at your own role rather than blaming the other person and, and trying to get the other person to change. So we, we did a survey of one of the online team therapy training groups. I didn't do it because I'm not in the group, but a, but a colleague did and, and uh, asked people to make a list of all the reasons not to get close to someone they're at odds with or all the good reasons not to use the five secrets of effective communication. People came up with fantastic lists. Some have meant as many as 38 reasons you know, t- t- type of thing. It was fun to, yeah, it's maybe the podcast you were listening to on, what, on Sunday. But the re- the resistance is 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 very intense. So that's one thing that has to be dealt with in relationship uh, in relationship therapy, working with people with, with troubled relationships. Uh, I, I don't know how you want to get started on this or where you want well, to go with it. There's a lot to say.
0: Let's first of all, give people just a quick overview of what are the five secrets? If you could just give a brief description and name the five secrets, and then we can go okay. into it a little bit deeper.
1: The five secrets isn't even the main kettle of fish here. I, people think that's what it's all about, but it's it's about something different, actually. It's about interpersonal enlightenment. We'll, we'll come back to that. But for what it's worth, there are three listening skills. One, assertiveness or self-expression skill, and then one skill for conveying respect EAR the three listening skills are the disarming technique thought and feeling uh, empathy and inquiry the assertiveness skill is called i feel statements uh, that's where you express your feelings with i am feeling x y and z and x y and z would be words from the feeling words chart of like i'm i'm feeling kind of down right now i'm feeling hurt i'm i'm feeling a little bit picked on i'm I'm feeling sad, you know what, what, whatever. I'm feeling anxious, uh, wh- whatever the thing is. Uh, and Jill did such a beautiful job modeling this on the Sunday Show. Uh, well, you saw how awesome she is. And then uh, the uh, stroking is a kind of a crude word. I just haven't been able to come up with a better word. But stroking means to convey warmth, caring, and respect, e- even in the heat of battle. There's a lot of ways to do it. You can. But it's just saying something kind of I, – actually, I showed how to do this too on the, on the Sunday show, but it's really based on the work of Martin Buber, the Jewish theologian from the early 20th century who talked about I-it relationships and I-thou relationships, and in an I-it relationship, which is what most people – are stuck in and, and determined to be stuck in most of the time is where you view the person you're at odds with as an enemy or as somebody to compete that there's to beat, to get revenge on them, to punish them, to 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 hurt to hurt them, to get back at them, to to prove them wrong. Whereas in an in an eye thou relationship, you're you're treating the other person with reverence and awe. You're allowed to be as angry as you want, and they can be as angry as they want. But you, you share your anger and your other feelings in, in a loving or, or respectful respectful way. Uh, th- those are the, are the techniques. And there's a lot to be, be, be said about how we go about teaching people these, these techniques. But one, one very important point is, is that those five techniques, when people hear them, they think, oh, I can do that. That's simple. But they're, they're very difficult. There are pitfalls and errors that people make with all five of these techniques. In addition, there's no order that you use them in any more than there's any order of playing the keys on a piano. How, how do you make a beautiful music on the piano? Well, there is no answer to that. It takes a tremendous amount of uh, practice and effort, some aptitude as well, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of motivation it's It's really really tough to learn the five secrets, but th- that's really what the world's greatest communicators do when when they're doing their very best best communication and we could uh, you know talk about uh, talk about I- any of them uh, but also this outcome resistance and process resistance are are massively important and 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 a third massively important thing is that resolving. A conflict with someone you're not getting along with involves the death of the ego. It's very painful, almost always, to, to have to look at your own role in, in a problem. When we were working with, with Lee uh, in this live session that Jill and I did, we kind of completed our therapy with him in three hours. So We can usually com- complete the treatment for depression and anxiety in an hour and a half or two hours, but relationships are... Are a little a little harder, and even at that, he went awfully fast. But you see, he had contacted us, uh, say, saying that he'd love to volunteer to be a patient, you know, uh, and to, so we could illustrate our interpersonal model. And since he's a therapist, and he's just using a personal example to so we can demonstrate, you know, a technique or, or how how the treatment works. And we're so grateful to him. But he was saying, oh, I, I think we're going to be doing couples therapy. Uh, and then we wrote back and said, you know, we don't do couples therapy, uh, for the most part, but if you've got a problem in your relationship, we'll work with you. And that's one unique difference in the way we work with people with, with troubled relationships. It's the opposite of what most people do who, who work with a troubled, troubled marriage. I'm not saying one way is right and the other way is wrong. It's just that we find we've got just one person. It's way more effective and fast. But then he he was emailing us to, to let us know that his wife was to blame for the problem, that, that she was too critical of him and always trying to control him. And that's the kind of thing I hear almost 100% of the time from someone who has a relationship problem. They're all into... It's the other person's fault. And can you help me punish that person or change that person or or whatever? And when we got those emails, Jill thinks the same way I do. I said, Boy, poor Lee's gonna be in for a bumpy ride because he's gonna just, because see, he was saying, Well, my wife had had a mother who controlled her. And so that's why she's too controlling and critical of me. See, that was his theory.
0: He's already yeah, he analyzed that, so he's intellectualized the reason she's the way she is,
1: yeah, and then in the in the therapy, we led him to the truth. The reason his wife controls him and criticizes him is because he forces her to do that every time he interacts with her, and when he saw that, he just started sobbing he, mm. he it was a shock to his system and and the method we use makes it very clear to the person it's just kind of a brutal approach, there's nothing inherently brutal about it, just it, it will reveal to you exactly why you're having the problems you're having with, with the person that, that you're not getting along with, and it will always turn out to be something that you're doing that, that, that is provoking them to respond in, in the way that they are. And, and it's, 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 it's painful because it shatters this narcissistic notion that you have that you're this innocent victim of, of their badness. But it also, if you have the courage like Lee did to, to endure that, to look at your role, then it empowers you to, to turn the situation around very, very rapidly by radically changing the way you respond to, the, to that other person. Programming on Noco FM is supported by its listeners and by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com allows you to listen to an immense library of books for every taste on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, tablet, or computer. Audible.com has a special offer for listeners which includes a free audiobook of your choice and a 30 day free trial. Learn more and get your free audiobook now at nocofm Audible. Here's something you might not know. NOCO FM is also a podcast network producing one-of-a-kind programming, like the show you're enjoying
0: right now. We have talk shows, original comedy, music shows curated by real people, and a lot more. So if you like what you're hearing, make NOCO FM a part of your day and tell your friends.
1: Remember, that's www.noco.fm.
0: Well, and let me ask you this, David, you know, from reading your book, Feeling Good Together, one of the things that was important, I felt like that I took away from that book, is that when you're looking at your part of it, it's also not about beating yourself up. You know, it's not, you don't want to blame the other person. And it's not about pointing the finger at yourself and then just blaming yourself. But it is looking at what am I contributing? Yeah to this situation? What am I contributing to this dynamic? And I've got to own my stuff and look at my stuff in order for this dynamic to change.
1: Yeah. And one reason it's so hard for people is people are not subtle in their thinking. So people like, well, it's either his fault or my fault, or it's either her fault or my fault. They don't realize that that's like the two ends of a, of a, of a dumbbell, uh, you know, with a circle and a bar connecting them. And on one side, it's It's his fault and the other edge, it's my fault. And people go back and forth between it's his fault and it's my fault. You go into it's his fault. Well, blame is the cause of pretty much almost all relationship conflicts. Problem isn't that the other person is to blame. The problem is that you're blaming them because every time you blame somebody, that will cause whatever you're doing to escalate. It's an absolute law of the universe. And then you go to, well, I'm no good. And that causes feelings of shame and depression and and worthlessness. And, and that's no good e- either, and people vacillate back and forth. And what we're trying to teach is to rise above this. I call it the dumbbell and the egg, and up above there's an egg that, that, that contains accountability uh, and empathy li- and, and, and listening wh- where it's not a battle b- b- between between the two, but it's, it's difficult for people to, to grasp. Some of these things that are so massively important, but it's a subtle distinction and a lot of people can't get it and then a lot of other people don't want to get it because they want to blame the other person. It's very rewarding to blame other people. It makes you feel morally superior. You see this in our political system right now. On the one hand, you've got Trump and all of his followers, and they're blaming all of these lefties who they've got labeled, and they're feeling massively morally superior, and they want to punish all these, these bad people. And then you've got all the people on the left labeling all those people on the right as some kind of retards who, who are following an idiot who's, who lies and bullies and breaks the law and, and blames them. You see, and, and, and then that makes the people on the left feel morally superior and empowered and wanting to get revenge and wanting to get back. And these systems of blame are very very addictive and 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 you've got to want intimacy more than hostility and when you're at odds with someone you probably won't want intimacy you probably will prefer host hostility that that's one of the reasons that it's so challenging to to work with people with with troubled relationships is because you're attract we're attracted to to the dark side when you're depressed you're it sucks and if someone can show you how to get out of your depression you'll kiss their feet and you'll feel so tremendously better but when you've got a relationship uh, conflict with someone you you may not want help you may be very happy having having an enemy and scapegoating that person look, looking down on that person
0: well and that's that's one of the i think in it's one of your resistant i believe yeah. t- tools um, yep. And I think you and, and Jill spoke about this um, in that podcast with a gentleman from Canada talking about the magic button technique. Yeah, and and yeah. and saying you want to know
1: do it right now with your listeners. Sure. Well, there's there's two forms of resistance in, in a relationship problem, and the first, this is a technical term. My wife said it's too technical for people, but I call it outcome resistance. What what it means is you don't want a good outcome. Okay. So if you have a troubled relationship, a good outcome would be you learn how to make it a loving relationship. And so the first thing is to find out if someone with a troubled relationship wants help because marital therapists assume, oh, if you're in my office, you're telling me about your husband who you don't get along with, you must want help with your marriage or your sister, your brother or or your wife or, or whatever. But usually, um, Nothing could be further from the truth. The first error that most relationship therapists make is thinking that people with troubled uh, relationships want loving ones, and that's actually very rare. And I'll 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 show you what I mean. All you people who are listening right now, see if you can think of someone that you resent that you don't like now or at any time in your life. And I'll I'll, I'll actually ask ask you if can you think of someone? Yeah, um, I
0: can, yeah, I, can I, I can think of someone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now imagine there's a magic button. And by the way, someone just made me in our group the most gorgeous magic button and magic dial.
0: Oh, I for, love it
1: for my for my book. Yes, and they're they're beautiful. Her husband's this graphics giant, and he made they're like they look like little Rolls Royces or something. They're just I'll have to email them to you so you can see they're so beautiful. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> But see, imagine, like, we've got a magic button right here. All all of you people, raise your hand if you can think of someone you don't like. We will see. Oh, oh, yes, I see all, all of you. All of you. <laughs> Hundreds of people, thousands maybe. Uh, so uh, now imagine there's a magic button. Oh, think about that person. Think about what they do that you don't like. Like maybe they whine and complain all the time, but they ignore your advice. Maybe they won't share their feelings with you. Maybe they always argue with you and have to be right. Maybe they always have to get, get their, their, their way. Uh, it, you know, it, it could be anything, but just picture them. And now, now imagine there's a magic button, and uh, if you just press this magic button, that person who you so deeply resent will instantly become your greatest friend in the whole world. How many of you are going to press that magic button? Raise your hands
0: my hand is down.
1: Yeah, yours is down. And of all the people (laughs) listening, I see only three hands went up. You know, 99% (laughs) of the people don't want to press that magic button. And then I say, now I just gave you a choice between a hostile, abusive relationship, a a troubled one, and a loving, peaceful, joyous relationship. And what did you choose?
0: The hostile one.
1: Yeah, isn't that interesting?
0: Well, yeah, and and it's you know for me as I as I thought about this, it was because even if all of a sudden this person was being absolutely nice and and so friendly, I wouldn't want to be close to him because I don't like him and um, I don't trust him.
1: Exactly, exactly. And there's no rule that says you always have to be close to someone that you're that you don't like or that you're not getting along with. It's just that uh, it's not common to find someone who has a troubled relationship who really does want to get close. And uh, that's the first thing you've got to determine if you're working with someone with a troubled relationship. Do they have an agenda to develop a loving relationship, or do they just want to let you know what a pill this person is? And generally, it's the latter. Now, the next question is, suppose you did have to what, suppose you did want to get close to someone you're not getting along with. Uh, what what are you going to have to do that you're not going to want to do, to 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 get to get close, and to help answer this question, the, the, that one. I let me put it to you like this. Think about the person you're not getting along with, and and then answer this question in your heart of hearts. Who do you think is is the bigger jerk? Who do you think is more to blame for the problem, you or the other person?
0: Of course, him. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's whatever it is. It's the, it's the other person. And then I say, if you want to help somebody with a relationship problem,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the person you're trying to help is blaming the other person, what is the prognosis that you can help them? The likelihood that they can develop a loving relationship?
0: I'm going to say closer to zero.
1: It's not close to zero. It is zero. zero.
0: Yeah, I, it is zero. no
1: techniques in the world literature that are powerful enough to help somebody who who who's blaming others for the problems in in their relationships, and you see that in marriage, you see it in gay relationships, you see it in father son relationships, sadly, uh, you see it uh, between uh, Republicans and Democrats, or Trump Trumpites and anti Trump Trumpites. You you see it in International conflicts like uh, Israeli, uh, pa- Palestine, everyone's seeing it as the other person's fault. No one wants to look, look at their own role. And and most of the time, they don't even want to be close. You see, if you ask the Israeli, do you want to have really loving relationships with Arabs, with Palestine, people in Palestine, what are they going to say?
0: Yes, yeah, no.
1: A lot. Well, some of them would. Well, but an awful lot of them will The the head of Israel, I would say, would say no. And then you talk to the Palestinians, and say, would you like to have really loving relationships with uh, with the Jewish people? And a lot of them are going to say no. That I think is why there's so much suffering in the world. And there has been for thousands of years is because of this outcome resistance and process resistance. And if you're out again, the outcome resistance is I don't want to get close to this person. And the process resistance is I don't want to have to do the process necessary to get close. I don't want to have to look at my own role and change and change myself.
0: Yeah, I don't want to do that inner work. It's so much easier to just point my finger and blame yeah. And and I'm really hearing that really clearly. That's very powerful because it's it's not just an individual scale. It really is a world scale that as long as we're pointing the finger and yeah. blaming, we will yeah. never resolve the conflict.
1: Yeah. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but my wife and I, she's the brains in our family. And we really question if, if the human race will be able to survive because of this exact issue that, that uh, there there is so much... Uh, of the dark side and, and, and human beings. And as our weapons become more powerful and our global warming becomes more severe, we, we may en- end up extinct, uh, wiping ourselves out because of our hatred. And for my wife and myself, I mean, this is going to sound awful to say this. Our sadness about this is not for the loss of human life. But for the loss of animal life—that when we when we go, we're going to be taking so many innocent animals
0: mm-hmm.
1: with, with us who who, mm-hmm. who didn't do anything to deserve a nuclear holocaust or dying as a result of global global warming or or other destructive self-destructive things that uh, humans have in them—and I find I hope we can solve. The, 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 these problems, but it's it's very tough. Even in therapy, working with someone who's very angry and very blaming t- toward others, it's it's not easy. And if you don't deal with these two motivational slash resistance issues first, this outcome resistance and this process resistance, uh, your your hope of of helping someone is is very minimal.
0: I personally too feel like so the the hope for our world is is that we actually we have to start within ourselves and you do know. do our own work as much as we can, and as we heal ourselves, then we're able to hopefully do that in relationship and, and with the people that we're directly involved with, and then that's kind of what radiates out. You know, yeah, and
1: that sounds and sounds great to say that, but there's very few people doing that.
0: Well, uh, and that's, that, that, but, that's what we that, have that to, that yeah, I, I hear you, and, and my, my optimism is that, you know, I, I can't change the world, but I'm willing to do my own work. Yes, And, and, that's and so that, that's like hopefully
1: others who are willing to do their own work yes. and what a fabulous experience that is.
0: And, and I think that's what that is the privilege that you and I get to be witness to is the people that show up in our offices and the people that show up at that training group. Um, yeah. To me, that is the hope people that are willing to show up and that are willing to do their work. And so little by little, I mean, I, I guess I'm much more of an optimist. I, I think that we're in the age of enlightenment if we get into a whole, you know, existential yeah. uh, talk about this. But um, that, you know, that, that there is a tipping point. And, and sometimes these things, as you know, happen in polarities yeah. and then the pendulum swings. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes we're really brought to this very dark place. Before yeah. the pendulum can swing back because we have a That's enough- the
1: hope. That's the great hope. Yes. And, and there is that tendency for pendulums to swing to swing back and forth. Absolutely. And well, I, I hope you're right. But in the meanwhile, I have my little cat, Miss Misty. And I've got you to hang out with and talk to and have fun with and the people in the Tuesday group and the Sunday hikes and the people who open their hearts and ask for help. And gosh, that's a fantastic, fabulous uh, thing to be involved with.
0: It is. That's that's the blessing. And so, David, as, as you're talking about helping couples or helping helping, excuse me, individuals after you deal with their resistance. And you know you've you've worked yeah. at kind of resolving some of this you know outcome resistance yeah um and help them to say okay I'm willing to look within myself yeah what, what's what's the next step
1: well the next step is I've developed this form called the relationship journal and uh, I think in the book Feeling Good Together which if anyone listening to the podcast wants to learn more about that this that's my book to get Feeling Good Together. You can get it on Amazon, and it's a little mass market uh, paperback. Uh, And I think in that book, I I gave it that name. I don't recall. I think I called it the Relationship Journal, but it's been modified since the book. It's become very powerful. And it's based on the idea that to help you solve this relationship problem and all of your relationship problems, uh, I call it fractile psychotherapy, all I need is one tiny moment uh, that when you weren't when you weren't getting along with 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 somebody just and all I need to know is what did they say to you and and what did you say next and and in the relationship journal you have to write it down what is one exact thing that this person you're not getting along to said to you and then what exactly did you say next the new relationship journal which I think you haven't uh, seen also has, Underneath where you put the other what the other person said to you has all this list of you know my emotions l- list there's about nine kinds of feelings with synonyms like depressed, sad, unhappy down, anxious panic worry the, and you circle all the emotions you you think the other person was having when when they said that to you, and then you put, put what you said next and and how you were feeling, maybe you were feeling put down or sad or Ashamed, or angry, or guilty, or inadequate, or or whatever you circle of your circle all of your feelings. That small exchange is all you need to achieve interpersonal enlightenment. But it's going to be a, a pretty brutal experience for you. I, I give you want an example of yes how this works?
0: yes. I gave a
1: workshop in Sacramento years ago. Uh, a hospital asked me to do a workshop for clinicians, and then a half day the next day for the general public and so they wanted something on troubled relationships and they had about 300 people in a high school gymnasium for my my presentation and i i asked them who who is the difficult person in in your life and and what did they say to you and what did you say next and i had them fill this out it took about 3 or 4 minutes and I said, would anyone care to tell us who, who is the difficult person in, in, in your life? And this woman in the front row, she was waving her, her hand, and she was all eager for me to call on her. And, and, she, and, I, and I haven't told you this already, right? No. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, and, and so I called on her, and she, she said, uh, I came to this workshop because my husband has been criticizing me all day every year for the last uh, 35 years. And I came to the workshop to find out why are men like that? I said to her, well, you know, scientists don't yet know why men are the way they are or why women are the way they are. But if you can tell me what you wrote down, what is one thing your husband said to you and and what exactly did you say next? Maybe we we can understand, you know, what's going on in in your marriage. We'll start the understanding, you know, at this very, very small level. And and she, so I said, what did your What's one thing that your husband said said to you, and and how did you respond? Something that was you know upsetting to you. And she said, well, just last night he he said to me, you never listen. So she had written that down. You never listen. And then I said, and now what did you put down? What did you say to him next? And and she said, oh, I said nothing. I just ignored him. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. perfect <laughs> she said that the whole audience broke out laughing she didn't know what they were laughing oh. she couldn't see what was fairly obvious oh, now, that
0: is so good
1: now isn't it and then but it's always some version of, of of that that this is just a real obvious one but this same phenomenon it will always be be going down would will always be happening if you use the relationship journal. What did you write down what did the other person say to me, what'd you say next. Lee's the live session with Lee was very similar, a very powerful example of this. Then in step three in the relationship journal, you say you see you're agreed to look at your role, not to just be blaming the other person. So let's look at what what you said. And there's three criteria it, was this good or bad communication uh it, in in uh, good communication you acknowledge the other person's feelings and find some truth in what they're saying that's that's the uh, empathy assertiveness respect e a r that's the empathy
0: okay. mm-hmm.
1: the assertiveness piece did did I share my feelings openly and directly and and with respect and then the last piece the the respect, the stroke you did, I convey warmth, caring, love, respect. That's good communication. And then it's a checkbox for each of these three. And then the EAR, the bad communication, is you don't, for empathy, you don't acknowledge the, the other person's feelings. You ignore their feelings. And instead of finding truth in what they said, you, you argue with them and imply that they're wrong about something. On the assertiveness, the the uh, uh, instead of sharing your feelings, you act them out in a passive-aggressive or openly aggressive way. You you uh, argue, uh, you, you you know, treat treat. You, you show your hostility uh, rather than share, share sharing your feelings you don't mention any of your emotions there, there's no vulnerability at all the bad communication on the assertiveness piece and then on on respect you convey warmth or caring you you convey hostility uh, c- competitiveness and so well it's a it's a no-brainer on on this woman you know she didn't acknowledge, and that's why we have people now circle the feelings so they can't wriggle out of it in step three. It, and I've never seen anyone who acknowledged someone else's feelings. You know, there's this thing that women deal with feelings and men deal with trucks, you know, <laughs> one gray thing. <laughs> men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Right. It's a little scam. There are no women in the United States who can deal with feelings. I've never seen one. Interesting at the relationship journal, I've looked at at least 5,000 relationship journals, two-thirds from women, and never once has a woman, even a mental health professional on that acknowledged the other person's feelings or shared your own feelings and never are people con- conveying re- respect. Now, this woman at the workshop, and that th- this is a very threatening form for for people because you people always find out that you had bad communication you did everything badly poorly and this woman was coming to the workshop to find out why is my husband the way he is she's pointing the finger at blame at him all of a sudden the finger of blame is rotating 180 degrees and pointing directly at at her and when you're doing therapy then you have to see will the person freak out or not because at this point some people say i i don't want this kind of therapy uh, I, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm. It's my husband's fault, and and this is a lot of of garbage. Uh, if the person can endure th- that uh, step three, like Lee, you know, burst into tears when he, when he suddenly saw how bad his response to his wife had been. She had said something to him about not raising his voice so much with their little baby daughter, and then he got all all defensive, and and started arguing with her. He hadn't acknowledged her feelings. He hadn't shared his own feelings. And he definitely conveyed no warmth or caring. And then in step four, it's the most explosive part of the relationship journal. Like, what will the impact be of how you responded to, to the other person? What will, like, take the woman from, uh, from Sacramento, what is your husband going to think and feel when you respond to him by ignoring him. And and then what what will he do next? See, he said you never listen, and then she ignored him. It's really telling him, you're not even worth the air coming out of my mouth. She is not conveying warmth. She's not acknowledging any truth in what he's saying she she she's not sharing any of her feelings she's got all of the all of these feelings then what what will he conclude when she responds to him like this
0: well he's i mean she's reinforcing what he just said tenfold yeah. you exactly. know you well, don't listen to me and i don't matter
1: exactly so then what will he do next
0: move away i imagine
1: oh, you know pull, emotionally pull away he'll emotionally pull away he did that 35 years ago i suspect but will his criticism increase or decrease?
0: Well, increase because it's just been proven.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, you see, because she's proving that, that she doesn't listen. And so he'll keep criticizing her. So she came to find out why are men like that? And now she knows the answer because you're forcing your husband to be like that. Now, does she want to hear that? For 35 years, she's been telling herself that it's her husband's fault. Suddenly, she finds out she is the total cause of this problem. Now, before your listeners throw tomatoes at me and say I'm a male chauvinist or something, I have to get across the concept of interpersonal relativity.
0: Okay. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a fancy term as well, probably for a lot sure. of listeners.
1: Well, I use fancy terms to make people think I'm intelligent when I'm not. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Technology functions, I think. (laughs) You take a little common sense concept you add a fancy word to it. (laughs) I think you're real smart.
0: I think you're a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, okay.
1: Uh, what is that whoever comes to me will discover it's, they're entirely causing the problem. See, if her husband had come to the workshop instead of her and he had done a relationship journal, he he would have come to the same shocking discovery that whatever it is that he's causing his wife to, to ignore him, you know, et, 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 et cetera. But whoever comes and asks for help— they will discover you will discover that that you're you're causing that that very problem and it's it's incredibly painful and when i do this for myself i hate it because i'm just so sure it's the other person's fault and it's so painful for me to see how i cause problems sometimes for example i've been i get annoyed with my students because they seem to have such thin skin and you know they they start thinking you know if you criticize their technique on a role play, then you're telling them they're you think they're a worthless person or terrible therapist. And I'm thinking, well, I don't think that that about you. I'm just focusing on your specific errors that that, that you made. So stop reacting so irrationally. This is your fault. Do you see that's how oh, I think? Oh
0: yes. Uh huh. See,
1: see I mean. Yep. And and then I have to look at my own role and say, well, maybe you need, David, to be more more patient, and you, you're an authority figure, and they wrongly think you, you're you important, they wrongly think you know something, so they're intimidated by you, and may, maybe you need to, to be more warm and, 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 and gentle uh, in, in, in your teaching, and then I have to have to look at my own role, and it's kind of painful, because I can see a lot of times when I'm too gruff with people, or too direct, too, too, incent, too insensitive, something mm-hmm. like that, but it's, it's painful to the step four, uh, it, it's it's the death, the death of the ego, and but at the same time, it's a tool for interpersonal enlightenment because you see that you're creating your own interpersonal reality at every moment of every day. See, that's the Buddhist concept. It's also a Christian concept. It's woven into just about every religion, using various symbols, various language, various ways of expressing the, the, this idea. But the Buddhism is we're creating our own interpersonal reality. Uh, And and it's very liberating if you're willing to see it, because it means we have more power than we think. And so if we are willing to change the way we relate to the people we're not getting along with, using the five secrets of effective communication, we can transform a troubled relationship. It's not a hundred percent thing, but I would say it's a 90% uh, s- successful thing if you do it uh, skillful and uh, skillfully and and with humility. So then the last part of the relationship journal is using the five secrets to to respond differently. You know the the disarming technique, thought and feeling, and empathy. So if 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 he's saying to her, "You never listen," how might she respond more more skillfully?
0: Well, if if she was using the disarming technique, or do you want me to? Any of them?
1: If empathy. You, you use several well, I, of them.
0: Yeah. Well, she she might say, "Wow, you know, honey, if you if you really feel that way, um, I I can imagine if if you felt like I wasn't listening, that would feel really painful to you."
1: Right. Now you didn't use the disarming technique. No, so you... no, I I used
0: empathy. You said I could move around, so, but dis- yeah. disarming is finding some truth in what the other person is saying, and so she might say. You know, can we just
1: highlight your error before we go on? Yes. <laughs> and, and again, I'm not trying to put you down. You know, I have to think the world of you. But you, you, you said if, if you, f- if you felt uh, I was critical of you, uh, I, I can imagine you'd be pretty upset. hmm And. Um,
0: but true and empathy would be a, when I'm not listening to you, it hurts your feelings.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Then now, now I'm giving you an A plus. Okay. Do you see? And and you could then add to that. And, and, and you're right. It just dawned on me. I, I've been kind of ignoring you for the past 35 years and blaming you all all the while.
0: And I, t- yeah, so that's the disarming when you actually say, you know, you're right. That's, that's true. I, I yeah. tune you out. That's yeah. One of the things I do is I, I tune you out. And I imagine that feels like crap.
1: It's painful for me too to say. I just saw this about myself for the first time, and I can I, I can imagine you you've been feeling lonely and angry with with me and frustrated. I just love you so much, and it's just crushing to me to, to suddenly realize what I've been doing to you, for the last 35 years. And tell tell me more what what that's been like for for, for you. I, I I I'm I'm ready to listen now, and I'm speechless. Tell me what's going on? I want to hear. How how was that?
0: That was good. I mean, you, so you were incorporating some of the, I feel statements and the inquiry, um, stroking. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the, the thing that's interesting then that what I was thinking about, David, as you were saying that is in your experience, then is the other person, like the husband's response, like he's blown away or does he, I mean, can he even receive that at that point?
1: Well, it all depends on how skillfully you do it. I don't know what grade my response j- just just got. If you're not up to an A or A+, plus, you can keep practicing it and revising it until you, you get really, really good. But if you disarm the other person, they're generally pretty pretty speechless. And that's why I'm glad you made that small empathy error just saying if you felt I was being critical, I can imagine you're upset. Well, the problem with that is if you felt that way implies you're wrong. Do, do you see? Uh, it, it it's not addressing the, the truth of it, and, and that's why the disarming piece is so important to to say. You're absolutely right.
0: Right, right. It's yeah. not. It's not just if you felt that way. You're saying. You're actually stating it as a fact. So you're yeah, saying. Yeah. You're saying. You have, you're right. The,
1: yeah, and you have to be willing to see the truth in what they're saying, and a lot of people, most pe- people are not. But it's also based on, on what I call the law of opposites, which is if you agree with a criticism, well, no, if you defend yourself from a criticism that seems unfair, you'll prove that it's valid. That's a paradox.
0: Now say that again. If if, if
1: you defend yourself against an untrue criticism, you'll prove it's true. right and and the other side of the paradox is is that if in contrast you immediately and genuinely agree that a fake exaggerated false criticism is actually a true one the moment you agree with it it won't be true any anymore and the other person will 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 see that L- let's let just demonstrate that s- 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 say to, say to me you never listen
0: yeah you never listen to me david
1: uh, i'm listening to you at this very moment sweetheart <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how to argue with that.
1: <laughs> right, but you see, I'm defending myself, which proves that you're right.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, do,
1: do you see that? Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not listening now; I'm just arguing and talking about myself. Yeah, and I'm will,
0: listening now. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So right. we'll take the other person off. That's the law of opposites. Now, this time, I'll agree with you. Go ahead okay. and say it again.
0: So, David, I, I feel like you—you you never listen to me.
1: It's painful to hear what you're saying because I hate I hate to admit it, but but you're right. I haven't been listening. I've been arguing with you and putting you down, and I can imagine you're so hurt and so angry with me. Tell me more what that's been like. you have probably been feeling frustrated, lonely too. I've been feeling kind of lonely too. T- tell me what it's been like for you when I don't listen.
0: See, that's was, an A plus. That that just feels yeah. so different.
1: So yeah. one eighty, yeah. And see, it's a paradox that when you agree that the criticism is true, the person stops believing it. Do, do do you see? By agreeing that I don't listen, I prove that I that I'm listening.
0: Right. I mean, that's what's what's beautiful about this. All of a sudden, like you were talking about, you get to that point, and all of a sudden, the door is just wide open.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it it requires the death of the ego. Yes, And when you die, you're immediately reborn. That's the spiritual concept behind it. And, and the other person will be reborn, too. When your defenses go down, the other person's defenses will go down. You'll kind of go to heaven t- together. It's a spiritual phenomenon as much as it is a psychological technique. If you use it as a gimmick or as a technique, it won't be effective. It has to come from the heart, and it ha- you have to really be willing to see that, th- that the other person is right. And, and most people, sadly— don't want to see that, that well that's they,
0: difficult that's difficult yeah, it, to, it does and and to get behind someone else's eyes and and to get that just what you're saying that there's truth in what they are saying even if it's not how you're looking at the situation through your lens yeah there's truth in, in how this person's feeling and why they're behaving this way or why they're saying this
1: yes and it's not just the way they're feeling what they're saying is true and ultimate reality
0: right Right. Even if it's not your reality, it's theirs. So you were acknowledging.
1: Well, it's, no, no, it's ultimate reality That's so, what I'm saying. It's me not a relative that. thing.
0: Help me understand that piece. So it's, it's ultimate reality in that. Well, we can
1: give many, many examples, but to state the one we just had, let's say you said to me, David, you, you're not listening. That's true in ultimate reality. What you're telling me was true.
0: Oh, I hear what you're saying. So yes, you weren't listening and I'm acknowledging yeah. it, but it's painful to admit it. For you, yes, yes, even even if if you didn't want to maybe believe that, the truth is it really is happening.
1: Yeah, uh, yes, Yeah. Yes. I hear you. Yeah. It's really real that's happening in reality. That's the point. This is not a tricky thing or a relative thing or, yeah. oh, I can yeah, see yeah. how oh, you feel that way. Like uh, that, that would be a crappy uh, res- response, but it's it's really true. And you have to be willing and able to see that it's really true. So, for example, uh, su- s- suppose that, that, that a patient says to a therapist, you don't care about me. The therapist is likely to say, oh, but I do care about you. Mm-hmm. what will the patient conclude
0: you really don't care about me
1: exactly guess, You saw yeah, that. yeah now but- if a patient <sighs> says to a therapist you don't care about me is that true in the patient's reality or in ultimate reality
0: well now i get what you're saying because it's ultimate reality even if my intention was not to be uncaring there was something that i said or didn't say or didn't do that came across as i don't care
1: Yes. And how do you feel about patients who attack you and say, oh, you don't care about me? What's the name of your emotion? Option A is great joy and love. And option B is frustrated and pissed off.
0: Right. And and so if we're truly helping, wanting to help people heal, you know, we, we can say, wow, you know, help me understand what it was that I did or didn't do or said that caused that feeling in you.
1: Yes, that's that's good inquiry, but it's not disarming.
0: Well, disarming is saying, right, I, I get the disarming. So you say, yes, I have been uncaring in some way, and you are feeling uncared about, and I want to know more about it. Is that right? It's pretty clumsy.
1: I, I, I'm missing. Just I'm missing. Move it in the right direction. Yeah, let me, let it's, it's hard but for me, it's me to really, really get hard. to it. Yeah. And I want people to see that it's really hard, but it, it would be so, you know, you're right, and it's it's painful for me, too. I, I think uh, we're we're doing pretty good up to a couple sessions ago you were giving me perfect scores on the empathy and helpfulness scale and i was feeling so close to you in the last couple of sessions it feels like we've been in battle mm. and mm-hmm. and and i and i think you've been ticked off at me and i've been feeling kind of frustrated too and i've done a terrible job of providing the warmth and caring that you feel that you want and that you need and you told me that every person you ever loved has has rejected you or hurt you starting starting with your father and now I'm the one in that in that
0: role, and I'm rejecting you too. Yeah, yes, I'm rejecting you too. and
1: and and it's so awful for me to have to look at that, and I can imagine how hurt you must be feeling, how angry and how lonely and rejected. And as it shamed and awkward as as this is, I'm excited. Because this can be our chance to slay that dragon and to develop the kind of relationship that you wanted, that I want. And with that in mind, tell me what this has been like for you. How's that?
0: Great. Great. I mean, that's an A. And, and I, you know, as you're saying that, it was so interesting because as I was, you know, going into that role play with you, my throat felt so tight. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It, it, because it's not natural for me yet.
1: Yeah not natural for anybody I you know think. to
0: try to learn how to do that to truly just drop the ego completely
1: yeah yeah just to see the truth and what the other person is saying the disarming technique was although i created it i guess arguably i created the five secrets other people have proposed similar things for probably thousands of years but um <laughs> i it was the hardest one for me to, to learn uh, because I'm very argumentative by, by, by my nature. And so I really worked at it be, because initially I had trouble seeing the truth in what patients were, were saying. I was kind of like where you're at right now, but even not as good as you are right now. And I kept telling myself that this is untrue what they're saying. They say I'm a hopeless case, and I would say, no, that's wrong. You're not hopeless. All my patients wrongly believe that, and I will save you. And then they would get pissed off, and say, well, did I say, why do they get pissed off? I just told them I would cure them, and they don't like it. Well, I wasn't finding the truth in what they were saying. So when I went home from work, on the, it was a two, I went from the 30th Street train station to the Bryn Mawr station, and then I would jog home about three miles from the Bryn Mawr train station. I had about. 12 to 20 minutes on the train, depending on how many stops it made. And I would write down things that patients said to me that I thought I couldn't agree with. And then I would work at it and work at it until I would find a way to, to agree with it. And I did this for at least 30, 20, 30 minutes a day for two solid months. And even when I was jogging, I would say, now suppose a patient said this, how would I agree with it? And I did that until there was nothing left that i that i couldn't agree with it and i got really good at it but but it i started from a zero point and 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 then eventually it became kind of like like second nature you, 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 let's you do an exercise you go ahead and let's, let's see if david can discern anything Give me a, some kind of outrageous criticism that couldn't possibly be true, and I'll immediately agree with you.
0: Okay. Um, well, you know, uh, it's evident to me, David, that you really don't give a crap about any of your patients, and that you know, really, this this is all about you, and that you really don't care about other people.
1: Yeah, it's painful to hear you say that because I just I just have to agree with you. I I, I just think that compassion is absolutely important and, and I'm, I'm just fearful that a lot of times I'm just interested in proving my techniques right and kind of impressing people and, and thinking how clever I'm being to get, to get a, a, rapid, a rapid response and uh, it just breaks my heart sometimes to, to have to look at that part of myself that is so frequently uh, lacking in, in compassion. And you're saying that you you know me, and maybe you've you've seen some things you can you can tell me that be hard for me to to look at and to listen to, but I'm I'm ready to do that.
0: That that's so powerful, and, and of course I'm I'm saying that that's not true, but I I literally feel myself having an emotional response to you, even though this yeah. is you know this hypothetical untrue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's powerful. So you know my question, Try David, for you for something more outrageous
1: because that was too easy. Just oh say. really. David, isn't it true that you're a total fraud and a totally worthless human being? Whoa. Something more like that. Whoa. And I'll agree with you.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, let me see. So I'm not doing exactly what you just yeah, said. Just but... do something outrageous okay. and impossible. Isn't, isn't it true that um, all you care about is making money and that truly people people don't matter? All that matters is you and your ego. That's really what you're interested in feeding
1: i think so yeah and it's 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 horrible to to look at that side of myself but i but i just love making money it really turns me on i wish i had could make a billion dollars i'm thinking of making a little app a feeling good app i'm hoping it'll make billions like bill gates or something like that and absolutely what a battle uh, between you know the compassionate side that wants to give and the greedy side that wants to, to, to build yourself up and, and, and exploit other people. And I just have to plead, you know, guilty as charged.
0: Wow. I mean, talk about diffusing whatever the situation would be. It's, It's hard as the other person holding on to any, I mean, I know this is so untrue, but it's, it's really hard then to hold on to any sense of being ticked off or angry with you, yeah once you're owning it and yeah. you know so as i'm experiencing this right now myself as you and i are kind of doing some of these role plays and and you know have this awareness of how difficult this death of ego yeah, for any of us is, is. That's, um
1: that's that's why it's called the death of the ego oh it's i
0: mean it's it's rough and i and i guess what i'm curious about is you know so teaching couples to do this
1: well, I would never try to teach couples. Not
0: couples, but excuse me, an anymore, individual. I try
1: to climb Mount Everest at my old age.
0: <laughs> so when when you teach an individual, excuse yeah. me, when you teach an individual to do this, um, what is your experience and how long does it take someone to learn these techniques?
1: It depends a lot on your personal relationship with the patient. And if they really like you and really trust you, if you've got an A plus on empathy, you, you 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 you've got a shot at it. Uh, and and you know Lee learned it on a Saturday morning in three hours, and and a good hour and a half of that he was just venting, uh, the way people go to therapy and, and and vent for months, really or years, just about childhood and my father wasn't there and all these 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 themes that people get into, and if you stay there, it'll go on and on and uh, endlessly. But we then we moved him into the uh, the paradoxical agenda setting, the invitation step, uh, and 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 then found out that there was something you want help with. worked through his resistance, and then we went through the the relationship journal. It can happen uh, ra- rapidly if the patient really likes you, and trusts you, uh, and 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 if they have an agenda that that they that they want help. But, but if they can't overcome their outcome resistance, in other words, if they're just like, I'm thinking of somebody right now that I, I really like you. I don't want to get close to the, to, to the guy and uh, I could use my five secrets, but I don't trust him. And I think it'd be foolish uh, mm-hmm. to, 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 to trust him. Um, and, and then secondly, are you willing, willing to pay the price of, of you know, the death of your ego and looking at your own own role? And if a person is willing to do that, then they can move pretty quickly. But I would say, I think Jill and I both estimate that uh, of the people who talk to us about a relationship problem, at least three quarters of them uh, really will not be asking for help.
0: So three-fourths of the people don't want help. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm hearing that. It's okay.
1: music to my ears when I heard her say that because I think, well, if she's having that experience, that I, I am too.
0: Yes. But the the one-fourth that does want Help.
1: You can do it quickly. I mean, you you can transform a troubled relationship that's that's been troubled for twenty years. You can do it in ninety seconds use, using the five secrets.
0: And that uh, that's powerful. And then is your information in that that change lasts?
1: Everything in the universe is constantly changing, right? Definitely. And 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 so uh, would it be fair to say that nothing lasts?
0: Well, yes. I hear what you're saying so would it be
1: fair to say we're going to be drifting in and out of enlightenment for sure so that person will have a return of this ornery angry blaming side and then they have the question do i want to pick up these tools and use them
0: again yes
1: yeah, and then the decision ha- has, has has to be made with with depression and anxiety uh once a person has recovered i, I tell them you know you're going to relapse about once a day. Is that okay? And, and I can show you how to pop out of it really, really fast. And people have done well. I I, I've, I may have said this in the previous podcast. So I've had at least 40,000 therapy sessions with people with very severe depression and anxiety. and I, And after they recovered, I did relapse prevention training, which takes about 30 minutes. It doesn't take long. And then I've had maybe eight or 10 that ever came back for a relapse. I told all of them, come back whenever you relapse, if you can't handle it on your own. But I taught them how to, how, how to handle it. And and the prognosis there is, you know, very, very good for the long term. In my experience, I, I haven't out had patients who, got you know, for the most part, who just got stuck for years and years and, and, and depression. But they knew that they'd have five happy days every week and two miserable days every week, but I don't have good data on the relapse with with relationship problems. Okay. The, the resistance is is so intense there, and it's so attractive to get back into that, into that blaming pattern.
0: Well, and I don't know if I shared with you um, the whole entire reason. I um, I had already read you're feeling good, but the whole reason that I and I think I'd already read when panic attacks. But the whole reason that I read you're feeling good together. I really have a personal connection to this. Um, just like all relationships, um, my brother and his wife, having two kids, two very busy careers, you know, had kind of come at odds at times with each other. And, you know, not that they were ever mean to each other or anything like that, but when we were to all together, you could just tell there was some tension. Between who and who? Between my brother and my sister-in-law. Oh, oh, oh.
1: your brother. Oh, okay. Between them. They're married. Yes, Between There's... them. They're married. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And and so and we would just see each other a few times a year at holidays. And then this has been several years ago now. All of a sudden there is this holiday and we're all together and they're laughing together. Oh, and wow. they were holding hands and, and you know, smooching every once in a while. And you could just see wow. this this warmth between them again. Oh, that's and I, I had asked my sister and I said, what has happened? What's going on? And she said, we read this book. Feeling good together. Oh wow! I'm not kidding. Giving you an A
1: plus on this interview. (laughs) (laughs) You are the world's greatest interviewer.
0: (laughs) But the powerful moment was was exactly when she acknowledged. She said, "Because I, it had been easy to look at what my brother was doing, and and I think that's what we all naturally do in relationships. It's like, what's that person doing to me? And that shift of looking at just not blaming myself and cutting myself down, but what am I contributing? Yeah, changed the dynamic in their relationship. Well, and it, wow. it has been wonderful to see, you know, how that they've continued just to have really just this neat dynamic relationship where you see the closeness between them, wow. you know, so they really utilized, um, the tools and the techniques. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, that's why I was, I was sold on,
1: it's the greatest it's the greatest thing in the world i mean the reward is of, of intimacy is just uh, is just just fantastic and and that's why i so much love my tuesday group and the sunday hikes when we go on the sunday hikes people open up if there's problems between the two of us we we talk about it and uh, disarm and uh, and and then, and it's just people that you can be with and be real and feel close to and it's just it, it's beautiful riches uh, to to, to have, uh, but but it is it is the war of the worlds between. There's the uh, the rewards of of intimacy. I say once your ego is dead, it's pretty good because you can join the grateful dead. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but the the rewards of battle are, are excitement. It's more like a probably a cocaine. I've never had cocaine, but it's like a rush, and you feel powerful and. Get behind all that revenge energy, and and that's pretty pretty great too. You know that Robert Frost poem? I went to Amherst College, and he was still alive. He would come once a year and, and read his poetry, and it was it was very exciting. But he had that that uh, poem, "Fire and Ice." Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and will suffice. Isn't that a – that's a cool one.
0: That is cool. But there's
1: just just so much hostility in the world that's fighting the forces of love. I mean it sounds like a comic book. It sounds corny, but I believe there are these uh, two – forces inside of us the, the the force that wants to love to be close to enjoy being close and and the the side that wants to get revenge and it's it's not a it's gonna be a slam dunk one way or the other I'm afraid
0: well and that's that's how that's that's the inner work right that we continue to work towards how we can choose love how we can move towards love and acknowledge when, that darker side in all of us that exists comes up and rears its ugly head. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I really do believe that, that it's through practice that, and like you're saying, I mean, I think the more that we practice something like the seven, or the, excuse me, the five secrets, we start learning that we actually do have some control maybe that we didn't think that we had Oh absolutely
1: you discover things that you were blind to when you were re- when you were resisting it's all different from what what you thought was go- go- gonna happen but it takes a lot of practice it's like learning to play a musical instrument and using the five secrets skillfully is it just it's a high art form and it it, it, it is very very rewarding well I've loved this interview with you and uh, boy we took a long time here.
0: We did, and and that's okay. I am, I, I, appreciate your time always so much, and I'm hoping that we can connect again in the future. I, I would just be sad to think this is our last interview or the last time we get to connect. Well,
1: see how their how they, your audience responds, and uh, you know if they if they want more French fries or something or another Burns cheeseburger or whatever. <laughs> Here. I'm sure we can think up another title because there's just so many exciting things to to talk about, and it's just wonderful to explore these topics with you, because of your enthusiasm, your skill, your knowledge, and your your uh, you know you're just a fabulous person to to talk to.
0: I'd like to take a moment to truly thank David Burns for these three amazing episodes and the wonderful opportunity to get to know him better and to get to speak with him at this level. We have learned so much, and I invite you to go back and revisit the episodes, number one, feeling good, number two, on the road to feeling great, and ending here with the episode that you just heard, the trifecta of feeling terrific. Thank you so much, Dr. Burns, for being a part of The Spark. Thank you for for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for your continued dedication to making this world a better place for all of us. Remember, The Spark is your show, too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.